Episode 82, Gina Horky on why the customer isn't always right. The Online Course Guy Podcast. Regular people are taking their knowledge and content and packaging it up in an online course and they're making a living doing it. Didn't you take some kind of course to cover this stuff? Check it out. It's a good course. It's a good class. Ladies and gentlemen. Are you ready? Here's the Online Course Guy. Hey everyone, it's Jacques Hopkins and welcome to another episode of the Online Course Guy podcast. Today on the show, I had Gina Horky who has made her rounds in the podcast circuit and that's because she's a great, great interview with a lot of great knowledge to share with a variety of audiences. She's been wildly successful with online courses, most notably on training people to be virtual assistants. And we got into a lot of great topics today. I'll tell you about one of my favorite topics we talked about in this episode in just a second. But first, let me tell you about our sponsor of this podcast. If you haven't used Bonjoro yet, there's no excuse because I'm offering a free 14-day trial. And even after that, it's only like $20 or $25 a month. So here's what you need to do. Every time somebody signs up for your email list, you should send them a Bonjoro video. If you're just starting out, let's say you're getting one, two, three emails a day, you have no excuse for trying to start that personal relationship. Or let's say you have a course and you're getting one, two, three sales a day, you should be thanking those people and welcoming those people through a Bonjoro. There's no better way to onboard your customers than with Bonjoro. That free 14-day trial is waiting for you at bonjoro.com slash Jacques. That's bonjoro.com slash J-A-C-Q-U-E-S. All right, so my favorite thing from this episode with Gina is that we talked about a couple of topics that don't normally come up in these interviews with successful course creators. Most notably, we took a deep dive into refunds and should you have a 30-day refund policy, 7-day, 15-day, no refund policy, and how to handle those refund requests that might not be as black and white. We even talked about like chargebacks and disputes on credit cards. So if you have an online course already, this is a great episode for you because we talked about some more advanced topics. And Gina, you know, that's why I titled this episode what I did on why the customer isn't always right is that she believes that most of the power still needs to be with you as the provider of the service. And as long as you're providing what you say you're providing, then then you're good. And, and we should leave it at that. So she's going to explain it much better than me in this episode. So let's go ahead and jump into it right now. So Gina, can you tell me how you got into the world of online courses? Great question. Um, so I actually started my online business journey in uh, 2014. I was a financial advisor for almost a decade and in a support role to a small but very profitable family financial planning company. And I just wanted something different for, for myself. I still feel really excited about staying in that same kind of position was um, area to improve as far as like maybe buying into practice and things like that. Love clients. I just really like the day-to-day of what I was doing. And so I 
after all of that time, had given myself permission finally to think about maybe something different. Um, this is kind of a long story, but it all comes together, I promise. My husband had quit his job the year before to become a stay-at-home dad. And so in 2013, in the summer, we had our second child and our kids are 19 months apart. And so when I started a side hustle, I focused on freelance writing because that was the first thing that I came across that seemed viable, especially for the skill set that I had. And I had personal finance as my background and pairing the two together. It's a pretty lucrative niche. So I found some success there. And, um, but at the time, you know, I was still nursing. Shelby was maybe 10 months old at the time. And then Braxton was a toddler, two and a half. Um, lucky to have Wade at home with them. I was a breadwinner. Kind of scary thinking about the prospect of maybe quitting job at some time in the future. So, yeah, so that is what led me to, um, creating and selling my first online course, which was 30 days or less to freelance writing success. It was a culmination of me just getting up early in the morning. And in addition to the client work that I had at that time, just cranking out a lesson or two per day. And then I baited it with uh, five people that were in my sphere of influence. And I actually offered them complimentary enrollment. I can't remember now if all five of them were like committed and went through it, but I know definitely there were at least three that were And that was helpful to just get some feedback because this was my first online course. Obviously, I had uh, writing as one of my main strengths, but, um, you know, you don't know until you do something the first time. That was actually dripped out. I had a a tech guy at the time, Grayson, that helped me to manipulate the um, email provider that I was on at that time to just give one lesson a day and then... We had like a, and I don't know when this came, but then we went to like, click this link if you want to go through it faster kind of thing. And then uh, eventually we uh, came onto a WordPress plugin that was on the back end. And now we're on Thinkific, but I also have numerous courses and, and sub businesses and stuff too. So it's quite the journey, but it was probably one of the most important things um, in addition to building up regular income that helped me to quit my job and then scale over time. So this 30 days or less to freelance writing success, that's the first course, right? That was the first one, yep. And is that like the same version of everything that I see on your website today? No, because I can never leave anything alone. (laughs) (laughs) I have kind of an unofficial business partner, Darren, and he would be nodding his head and shaking his head at the same time. But I, I really like to... Uh, make sure that we're putting out the best product possible. Most of our stuff is evergreen. And so once a year, I usually do a big refresh Um, this year, because we did a really big refresh at the end of last year for our VA course. Anyways, Um, I'm just going to take and try and, you know, go through it one module at a time and just make more incremental improvements. Um, But it just, I don't know, I just don't feel like even though the material is probably all very evergreen, I don't want something to just sit on a shelf stale when I'm interacting with all of these people and learning new things about, you know, the challenges that they face as far as my students or newer marketing strategies or whatever the case may be. So I like to make improvements without just making it bigger. That's my big thing though. I don't want to just make it bigger to make it bigger. I want to streamline it and let's take the least path of resistance of getting our new businesses off the ground and making money. Where do you draw the line then 
between updating something you already have versus working on something new? (laughs) That's a good question. I mean, both like these are my babies, right? So we have 30 days or less to freelance writing success. And then the second course I came out with was 30 days or less to virtual assistant success. And it was the same format, 30 email standalone lessons. And now it's completely different. It's very robust and it's probably more my breadwinner, although the freelance writing course, there's a huge drop because it's just so niche specific. Um, so I've created other courses. Um, and like I did, we did the course course. There's actually several other courses that have that name now, but we brought that out in 2016 and just didn't end up doing a huge marketing push with it because our current audience, they weren't really creating products. So there's some potential there. It's not for sale at this time. Um, so I, I think we vacillate between the two. We've got some really great things coming because we found that most of our students, their biggest struggle is being confident in the skill set that they're offering to clients. And so in our main VA course, anyways, we go through a few different service offerings in more depth and we explore a lot of them, but we can't teach a hundred different services that you can offer in one online course. Um, it would like not everybody wants to learn all of those services, first of all, and then it would be so robust, it'd be overwhelming. And so that's kind of the next direction we're taking. We have two that are almost ready to market. One is on project management as a virtual assistant, and the other is on um, email management as a virtual assistant. And so our standalone or our best selling course is still going to be the foundational course where you learn all the concepts of starting and building a, a virtual assistant business and marketing yourself and, you know, working with clients effectively. And then these sub courses, they're not going to go into those things. They're going to build off of it and really focus on here's the skill. Here's how we break it down to teach it and how you can practice to feel confident in going and offering it to other people. So that's super exciting. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm asking you that question because that's something I certainly struggle with. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. I have this piano course that I've recorded four times. I have a course on how to make courses that I've recorded one time. And hey, we got that in common. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Online course guy over here. Um, (laughs) But it's like, when do you you decide to redo or update those courses versus trying to put some new content on YouTube or recording new podcast episodes, like doing new things versus redoing old things, you know? I know. And that's the conversation that Darren and I have all the time because he's pushing for the new things. And I just have like, again, they're like my babies and this, these students, I, I just, I'm in it for their success. My very favorite thing is getting a Facebook message or an email that says, Gina, I just quit my job. And it just makes my heart so happy. And usually they give me all the praise and I try and put it back to them because it's a lot of work putting yourself out there doing all this stuff. Uh, It's not a get rich quick thing by any means, but there's just so much freedom from them going to working from somebody else to working for multiple clients and having their own business and watching that journey and watching that transformation and your excitement about this, you know, new venture and the flexibility that comes with it is so awesome. Cool. So can we talk about your email management course for a second? Because that's something people, people ask me about that a lot because about a year and a half ago, I hired a virtual assistant to help me manage my email. And it's been a total game changer for my business. Um, yeah. But so a lot of people ask me about that process. What, what is your opinion and what kind of content is going to be in that course? Yeah. So we're going to actually chronicle a couple of different types of clients because 
Um, you know, this was one of the niches that I actually offered as a virtual assistant myself. I still do customer support for one of my clients. Um, and it looks a little bit different depending on the client and their business. But a lot of clients will run too much stuff in their personal Gmail account that should really be more on a help desk. So for some people, it would be separating what's, you know, really should be in Gmail versus what should be in kind of a customer support type of tool, um, which then either one or multiple team members can manage. Um, some people uh, don't subscribe to Inbox Zero. Like it sounds like a really fun idea that they'll never get to on their own. So one part of email management for certain clients is going to be taking 40,000 emails or 5,000 emails and, you know, getting them sorted and archived and getting them to inbox zero in the first place. That could be unsubscribing from a bunch of stuff they really don't need so that what's coming in is really the stuff that they need to see. And we have sub files that usually there's like an ASAP file um, that you would make sure that, you know, here's your job person that doesn't do so well with email management on your own, look at this folder. And then you can still search to find all the things that you need, but it brings it from this overwhelming state of getting 50, 100, 500 emails today down to, okay, these are the five I need to pay attention to. It's not as much of a commitment for me to go into my inbox because I think that's where entrepreneurs struggle a lot, right? Is like when we're building something, we can't wait for people to contact us. Like you want an email from anyone that's potentially interested because it's like a sales opportunity, right? Or potentially a marketing partnership opportunity. Uh, but then once you find success, it gets kind of overwhelming and it's hard to keep up. And certain people like avoid it because it seems too hard. It's like any big project that we procrastinate on. Until we dive in and like break it down into smaller things, it just seems overwhelming and we'll put it off as long as possible. It's just human nature. So for, for an entrepreneur that's looking for help with, with managing their e email inbox, is there any benefit to that, that type of person taking this new course of yours? They totally could and just apply the principles to themselves. It's really geared towards a virtual assistant that wants to learn a new skill and feel really confident in delivering that skill you know, within the framework that we would recommend to clients. Um, but somebody could totally do DIY it. So I don't mean, I don't mean necessarily so they can, they can apply the information themselves. I'm so I'm saying so that they can find the right person to help them with it and they can outsource that task better. Yeah. Um, totally. It could be their training ground. Um, right. so they could either just sponsor, a VA that they already have or have found by enrolling in the course, or they could look to our community. Um, so we have a VA finder service, which is free. Um, people come to us and they're looking for a virtual assistant. And so they just have to fill out a Google form, which really pulls what they're looking for in their budget and that sort of thing. And then we put a call out to our private community of virtual assistants that have successfully completed the course so that they can um, go ahead and pitch that client directly. So we're not necessarily like a matchmaker or concierge service. Um, you don't do payment through us or any of that kind of stuff. It just gets you a pool of qualified people. I just received this email today. Oh, and cool. I thought that it was just so fun. Basically, somebody had, um, she had used her service and she took the time to write me an email and just said how wonderful that she thought it was, how many qualified applicants that she received and the fact that they made a hire. Um, and it was better than any of the other things that they had uh, tried before that. So 
that made me feel happy again. It's the little things. Yeah, that's really cool. You know, when I first went to your website, just because of, of who I am, I went straight to the courses tab, but now I see the find a VA tab and I'm a big outsourcer too. So that's very interesting. If I were looking for a talent or something and went there, is that just for people looking for full-time work or could I outsource oh, part-time no. work as well? Yeah, no, it, for the most part, people aren't looking for 40 hours a week from our community. You can really look for somebody that can do a one-time project. It could be a couple hours a week or it could be 20 hours a week if that's the help that you needed. I mean, we'll put a lead out there for 40 hours a week. Usually when you get into that territory, it's like, should they be a contractor? Should they be an employee type of thing mm-hmm. is kind of the reason why. Um, but that's what makes my work really exciting is because I get to help people to you know, create these businesses and learn new skills from scratch or repurpose ones that they already have. And then on the other side, I run in lots of circles with people just like you, entrepreneurs that are looking for good help. And any given entrepreneur could mean one to 10 people on their team helping them to do various tasks in their business so that they can spend time maybe creating courses, which is really what will move their business forward. And so I get to pair these people together. And oftentimes, like somebody else just emailed me the other day who had gotten hired by her fifth client through our VA leads community. So the leads come into the VA finder service and then we distribute them to this community. And she was like, Gina, I would never have met these people without being introduced by you, basically. And, you know, I think about my own online business journey and the really cool clients that I've worked with. And I wouldn't have ever met them if I wouldn't have um, changed careers and gotten into online business myself. And really, the cool people are the entrepreneurs. So last question for you on this, because I'm fascinated by it. But I mentioned to you that I get a lot of people asking me like tips on how to outsource um, email management, email inboxes. Uh, for somebody that's looking for a resource to find somebody, it, it, could, could I point them to this Find a VA link on your website to find somebody like that to help them with email? Yep. And then there's also a case study on our blog. If you want to read through that, that talks about um, one of the person and we're actually collaborating with her in the course. So that's the other cool part of these skill specific courses that we're coming out with. Um, And we're actually pairing with successful students that also offer these services in order to create them. And so we're giving somebody else the opportunity to get into this courses market through our own community, through these relationships that we've formed with people that are successfully executing it on their own. Because I don't offer all services that we'll look to, like I never offered project management and that's the other one that we're coming out with soon. Um, so we have somebody in our in our audience that does and that I'm really good friends with and, and that'll be exciting. So the blog post on horkyhandbook.com, if you go to horkyhandbook.com backslash blog, or maybe you can link to this in the show notes. Um, there should be just the search tab and you can pop email management in there. It's written by Rachel Severns and it's called managing email as a virtual assistant. Yeah, I pulled it right up. So those instructions are perfect. Anybody listening that wants to pull that up can do that. But also I'll have my virtual assistant who does the show notes for this podcast, put that in the show notes. Cool. Thanks. So back to the courses tab of your website. You know, we, you've mentioned a couple of the courses that are there, but you've also got workbooks for sale. Why, why even have workbooks as well? Well, way back when, as a marketing technique, we, instead of doing like an opt-in download, um, we decided to do like the free five-day course. And so it was an email course that we put together that was high value, walking them through some of the basic steps they needed in order to get started. 
And then I heard of people doing tripwires. And so I decided to repurpose those free courses into tripwires and come out with the opt-ins that we have right now, which we're playing with some other um, potential ones uh, just to put something fresh out there or split test the current opt-in that we have that's working really well. Um, so the opt-in we have on the VA side, for example, is 150 plus the services you can offer as a virtual assistant and get paid for. We have one on the freelance writing side of things that's 200 niches that you can get paid to write in. Um, and we found that those have been really helpful, except for they're kind of getting copied by other people, um, that, you know, it's a, a list, a robust list that somebody can sit down with. They don't have to really spend a lot of time reading. They can just scan and find things um, and opportunities they might not have thought on on their own. So those are really helpful to us. And then um, we don't have the tripwire on the VA side anymore uh, because we thought that it might be cannibalizing our full course sales. And so we still have the workbook. We just market at full price at the $29. Um, and that's helpful for people that want to dip their toe and aren't sure or aren't ready financially or time-wise to enroll in the full course. Um, and then uh Recently, we just put together a couple of bundles and it ended up being in our downsell bundle, which was really um, successful. So it's just nice to have multiple products on the market at different price points. Mm -hmm. And it's been just a crazy evolution. Like I just telling you, talking you through that, I remember the different, you know, when we first came out with the five day email course and it wasn't as like people are doing that a lot right now, right? It's not unique, but at the time it kind of was. So let's, let's talk about some of your higher priced items, uh, which would be the courses I'm assuming. It, it, I know it looks like I can just go to the courses tab and click on the course I'm interested in and get to a sales page and then go ahead and buy. What are your thoughts yep. on, on this uh, versus some sort of funnel? So we have funnels. They're just um, in the background working off of the opt-in sequence. So how does that work when, when I can just, when I know that I can go buy anytime? Is there any scarcity built into the funnels? Uh, well, since they're evergreen, we created scarcity through the bundle offering. So we're basically offering more value for the same price at a certain time. And it's legit as far as the window to purchase and all that good stuff. I don't like when people say, oh, this is available for 48 hours. And then they don't actually have their tech systems set up. So it's still actually available after right. that point. Right. So you're essentially like lying to your audience. Um, so that's how that works. I also have, I partnered with my really good friend, Kristen Larson, who used to be my Pinterest virtual assistant. And we created a course that's not underneath the Horky Handbook umbrella called Become a Pinterest VA today. And so that has its own company. And that has done really, really well for us because it's so niche specific and such. Uh, we actually teach the skill within the course as well as go into starting a VA business. Um, but it's so niche specific and such a fun service for people to offer. So give a shout out to that one too. So we get to try different marketing techniques yeah. on both sides and kind of see what is helpful. And then if we see something successful over here, we'll go over there with it or vice versa. Cool. So here, here's what I, here's what I want you to explain to me. Um, okay. You have a funnel in place that I, that I clearly can't see on the front end because I would need to opt in uh, yep. to your freebie to, to kind yep. of get into the funnel. So why even make the course available for sale on the courses tab? Well, we've experimented with like launches and stuff. I just, um, I don't know, like if somebody's ready to buy it, go for it, you know, like, and if we can encourage them with either a price increase or a promotion or whatever along the way, 
we've had decent sales on an evergreen basis that have built year over year. So I think it's working. Could we have better sales if we were only on a launch strategy? Maybe. But because this information is evergreen, like, I don't know. I just, user experience, like, people are getting more and more hip to, like, scarcity tactics, I feel like. Um, And I'm just not a big person. So if you want it, you can take it. If you don't want it, then, you know, no big deal. Do you have Uh, any idea of, like, the percentages of the people that buy from the sales page versus the funnel? I could dig into those numbers, but it would take me a bit. So I no don't problem. right now. No, I'm genuinely curious. Do you, do you, do you have any idea which one uh, is responsible for more sales? So um, we completely redid our welcome sequence and then this funnel that actually makes the offer for kind of this bundle. So we have the 30 days or less to virtual assistant success, which is a standalone course. I think it's like 13 modules long, self-paced, all that good stuff. Um, and then the bundle that we offer for four short days includes our client contract template, which we sell in the shop for $49. I got it drafted by an attorney friend of mine that cost me like six, $700 um, with her permission to be able to resell it. And then we do 60 days of complimentary access into that VA leads community, which is where we send unique client leads to, as well as host regular office hours and, you know, a community of like-minded people. Um, so our, the benefit of buying it during the bundle is getting the contract template for free and then an extra 30 days of complimentary access to the community. And I think that's another $80 value or something like that. So it just allows them to be able to have another reason to purchase. Um, I think Darren said we did like 5%. It was the first time that we had offered that sequence and that offer, um, because we worked on all summer on redoing things. So we had a bigger pool of people, but we're about to offer it again just to new subscribers after a certain date next Monday. So that'll be fun to see and compare because the first cohort of people, it was a larger list because we collected those leads all summer. And then we'll probably be doing it every two weeks or so. So it'll be a smaller amount of people, but they should be like ready. Because sometimes somebody opts in, let's say June 1st. Well, right now they might not even be on their radar anymore. Got it. Okay. So let's shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about like tools and software. And okay. let's start with uh, course platforms because you already mentioned Thinkific and that's, yep. that's where all your courses are hosted currently. Is that right? Except for the Pinterest one, we, cause we have a separate company. I have a business partner and we use Teachable, but it, again, it's been really fun to like look at both options and what we like about one platform versus another. Yeah, so we for- started on MailChimp way back when, and then we switched over to Drip when we were still doing email delivery. And then we went to, I think, LearnDash. We tried out a couple of them. They were WordPress plugins. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we went to Thinkific, and we've been there for two years, maybe. Mm-hmm. Cool. So my, my, the courses that I own are, are hosted on ClickFunnels. Um, okay. And I'm playing with Thinkific a lot uh, these days because I have a client who um, we're using it for, for her course. And I really like Thinkific. Um, do you, what, what are the pros and cons from your perspective on Thinkific? So we don't actually use Thinkific for all of it. It's mainly the courseware part. We use Samcart for our right. checkout and our affiliate program. Um, and then obviously we have an email service provider through drip and then we're using Thinkific just to have people log in and absorb the material and all that good stuff. We do have sales pages on there so that like if somebody purchased one course from us that they could purchase another one and it links back to Sam cart to check out though. 
Um, one of the downsides of using like their checkout process is it's a mandatory 30 day refund policy. And we actually have a seven day refund policy um, because that makes more sense. You should be able to dive in, figure out pretty much right away if this is something for you or not, in my opinion. And there's too many people that go and rip you off. So take advantage of stuff like that. Cause ours is pretty liberal and not like prove your work or whatever. Yeah. Um, side tangent, but people don't talk about refund policies enough. They don't talk about uh, like conversion rates enough and, and that sort of thing. So um, the benefits of Thinkific is I think it's pretty robust in what you're able to do with it. So you can obviously host media, host, you know, video and text lessons and photos, all that good stuff. Um, but it's not as appealing on the back end. So like one of our biggest complaints, we were talking about this just yesterday, is you know, like when you're in WordPress and you've got the editor tool up there with, you know, your headline options and, you know, italicizing and whatever else. We wish that there was a floating bar because if you have this long text lesson and you want to like insert a link or, you know, make some formatting change, you have to scroll all the way back up and then do it and you can't see it while you're doing it. And it just makes it more um, confusing than it needs to be. But otherwise we've been really happy with it. So what I'm hearing is Thinkific is great as, as a course platform, but don't use their sales pages and their, their card. And you totally could. Somebody totally could. It's just that we had Sam cart in place before then. So Mm -hmm. to move over our 300 affiliates and have them lose all their cookies and all that kind of stuff just wasn't going to happen. Gotcha. So you were on Sam, Sam Card before, so you can't even really speak to the, the viability of those features in Thinkific because you've really never used them. Correct. Yep. Okay, cool. Well, let's, let's jump into that refund policy a little bit more. And what I want to do is, is basically ask you for some advice, okay? So I sell a course called Piano in 21 Days. Okay. I give people lifetime access to it. Um, I would like for people to go through it in 21 days, but most of the time that doesn't happen. That's, that's asking a lot of people. So if they want to spread it out over six months, fine. And people have done that and still been very successful. But I offer a 30-day uh, money-back guarantee just because that's what people tell you to do. You know, that's like the standard. Um, mm-hmm. But I've always we wondered... 30 day, by right. the way. Yeah. I've always wondered that just with, with my course being a quote-unquote 21-day course. Um, if you're advising me, what, what, what's, what length of refund policy do you recommend for me? Well, I don't think it should be longer than the amount of time somebody can go through the material. Right. Um, you can do it a couple different ways. You can definitely do the amount of time that it's available for. You can also do course completion, and you can do a combination of the two. So for the Pinterest course, for example... Um, because we have noticed and we can tell, so all of you course ripper offer people, um, that people were going through and cherry picking like our best stuff, which is basically, you know, how much to charge and the packages that we'd suggest that these virtual assistants are offering their clients and just different, really juicy pieces. I mean, all of the course content is good and should be taken, but, um, some people will abuse refund policies and they'll sign up for something, they'll get what they want, and then they'll say that they wanted a refund for whatever reason that they come up with. Um, and th- another thing we should spend some time talking about is disputes because that really gets me riled up Ooh, as well. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, so what we did this last launch, because that course is not evergreen, we're doing the launch cycle and we've been very successful with that. Um, is the last time we offered it, we have the seven day money back guarantee because we pay out our affiliates every 15 days too. So that's a little bit unique. Like I'm 
try to be as generous as possible and treat our affiliates how I would want to be treated by somebody that I was an affiliate for. Um, so that's one of the reasons for the shortened period is because we just pay out regularly and early. Um, and you don't want it hanging over your head about what you're going to get paid 30 days from now either. Um, and then we do, please don't com complete more than 15% of the, the material because you really should know within the first few lessons if this is going to be a good fit for you or not. So we're not going to take away your right to kind of dip your toe but there's no reason that you need to go through all the content if you're not planning on implementing it. It's just not cool. So that's how the, it reads on the Pinterest side. And I'm probably going to change it up a little bit on the Horky Handbook side because it currently is still a, a seven-day policy. Um, and then we just say, don't be an a-hole and make your way through the entire course. And recently, and this is why I'm thinking of changing it. So I have quizzes uh, at the end of every module and then I have a final exam. And this guy decided he was just going to run through all the quizzes because the way that it's set up, you can skip around. And he took the final exam and he said he got 100% on everything. Well, the reason that I do like the quizzes and the exam is just more to get principles to sink in. So it's not like super challenging, like you need to study for this test. But if you're paying attention as you're reading through the material, right, like you should probably score pretty high. Um, and so he didn't actually go through all the content, but he went and sped through and then he wanted a refund and it just made me mad because <laughs> he wasn't actually doing what I am instructing him to do in the course. So I don't know if I'll change it where you can only go through a certain percentage of content or what. Um, but I don't think it's fair that somebody tries out your course, takes the 21 lessons for piano and then says, ah, I changed my mind. Like, cause it's really a buyer's remorse thing. And I think where all this stem from, I can talk a lot. So cut me off anytime, um, is from like the whole concept that buyers are always right. And I don't agree with that. That was something that came out of, I think like the eighties and the nineties as kind of like a marketing technique for a lot of companies. Um, or it was just easier to maybe have people not talk negatively about you so that you could, you just gave them what they wanted. Right. Um, and I just, I don't agree with it. You need to have some onus when you're investing in education. You cannot go to a university, sign up for a class, and then return it at the end of the semester. You know, they have a refund period associated with taking college courses. Um, and they might look a little different than an online course. But one of the reasons, especially if you don't drip out your content, is that somebody can go through it in a short period of time, take what they want, and move on. And they still get the value. So I'm, you know, it's not like people are requesting refunds because they think the whole course is and they wouldn't learn a single thing. That's not typically what we get. Well, am I not supposed to swear either? No, you're good. Um, you're fine. So that's really interesting. Sorry about that. From my perspective, um, like with my course, I don't teach piano like, like a normal piano teacher would. It's very, it's a very different method. And obviously it is, or else you yeah. couldn't learn in 21 days. And so I make it very clear, like guys, I have this 30 day money back guarantee for those of you that sign up and then determine it's not a good fit for you. Right. Mm -hmm. The course works. If you go through it, it works. Um, there's, there's countless success stories. Uh, it's, it's, it's not some new thing and it's not some scam. Um, but by far the two biggest like refund request reasons are, um, I just, I, I, I thought I would have the time for it and I don't, and I, you know, I haven't started, um, and I'm not going to have the time for it or two is I need that money back. <laughs> like I have to, I have to have that money to spend it on something else.
And right. I'll, I'll usually grant the refund because I, I don't want to be a jerk. Um, but what, like, what advice do you have for that situation when I'm clearly saying like, it's the refund is if you find out it's not a good fit because I want this to yeah. be a good fit, but then yeah. that's the reason for requesting a refund. Well, I, we've added copy to our sales pages, uh, especially on the PBA side that like it's a part of a fact and it says like, basically, I don't have a lot of money. I'm broke. I don't know how we phrase it. We could look. Um, should I enroll? And we say no. Like you need to be able to set aside resources. We do not want you investing your last dollar in this course. You know, it's a great opportunity, but oftentimes when people feel financial stress, they're not going to be successful. So that's how we kind of go about it over there um, is just letting them know, like, we don't want to take your money if you can't afford this and whether or not they read that fact, I don't know. Um, and then your other one was they just basically changed their mind, kind of a buyer's remorse thing, um, with not having the time. I would push back a little bit if you can with some of those people and said like, what about your life was any different two weeks ago or whenever they purchased? Like what made you think that this was a good idea and that you had the time at that point? And how has that significantly changed? You know, I know that marketing is done in a way where we're convincing people to buy things. But they obviously had a desire in the first place. And is that the real reason? Or is that just an excuse because they needed the money back or whatever? Like, it's it's hard to know. Um, I'm sure that your refund percentage is really low, just like ours is. It's just like personally, like it's our heart, right? And so you get a little bit offended because you're trying to people please and you want everybody to be successful and you got them there in the first place and they pulled the trigger and then they're saying they don't want it. And it's like, what did I do wrong? Yeah, you, you, a little piece of you dies because you, you you get so excited when somebody signs up. Um, not that I'm a short, uh, at a shortage of students, but then the other thing is too like I don't have um I, like I want to handle refunds myself. Like I outsource a lot of pieces of my business, but that's like dealing with hundreds of dollars of money, and so I handle that process myself. So when somebody requests a refund, it's still it's like ten minutes of things I have to go and do, and that's no longer a sales a sale and my sales data information. And it's, it's complicated. And so if they have a really silly excuse, it just frustrates me, you know? How often do you not refund somebody with a silly excuse? I Almost never. As long as it's okay. within that 30 days, because that's the biggest, that's like the headline of the policy. It's like 30 day money back guarantee. And yep. then the sub headline is if it's not a good fit for you. So as long as it's within the 30 days, I'll almost always grant the refund. But if it's outside the 30 days, I'll almost never grant the refund. Okay, so my advice to you would be cut your policy in half. So it's a 15-day refund period at most. And I don't think that that's unfair by any means. And then the second thing would be outsourcing the refund um, process because you're not not refunding them. Like you have specific guidelines that somebody else could follow. And I have recently done this myself and it's helped to just, you know, save some emotional headspace that I'd be wasting by processing it myself. And it's for the reason that I just talked about. Like, it's not about me, but it feels like I wasn't able to meet your needs or the promises that I delivered on. And I worked so hard to do that. Um, so I have somebody that processes mine and I kind of can see them because you can, you know, in Samcart, you can see your refund dollar amount for the last period of time that you're searching for, or it'll show up in the like timely tracker. So if I check sales during the day, 
I probably should go back. Uh, I've been looking more often at sales than I was used to just based on this last promotion that we ran for the first time because I was curious and excited. We also had been running Facebook ads and we stopped doing that recently and trying to see how that would affect like, you know, our dollar amount for a daily basis. But I think for myself, I just need to remove myself and maybe just once a week check in because it's not going to change anything. And if I kind of trust the process, all this work that I've done and, you know, these results that we've proven already, it shouldn't matter because I'm not really going to do anything different with the results. Like if you have one bad sales day, you're not going to implement something brand new the next day to try and fix it all of a sudden. Thank you. Thank you for the, the advice. I, I didn't come into this expecting to get um, personalized advice, but when I see an opportunity, I take it, Gina. And Anytime. I don't want to take too much more of your time, but you mentioned something else that, or a, a topic that I wouldn't mind jumping into just a little bit that I don't think has ever come up on this uh, podcast, and that's uh, disputes. Yeah, and, I'm going to sound like a total able <laughs> myself, probably. But these are the things that get me fired up. And the reason is because I don't think that it's ethical on the customer side. And I know like PayPal usually will play to the customer more than really who their customer is, which are the people that sell through them that they generate the money on. So they're more buyer um, favored, in our opinion, or our experience, than they are for the seller, which again, we're their customers, because that's how they make money. But um, one of the ways, at least. So you've got PayPal, and then we use Stripe for all of our credit card processing. Do you use them as well? Yes, I use Stripe. And in six years, I've probably had five or six disputes. And when I got the first few, I put together so much documentation on why it was legitimate. And I am I'm 0 for 6. You know, I've never won a dispute. It's ridiculous. I don't know why I should go through all that effort if they're not going to even, I don't know. And my big that's how we feel about PayPal. Yeah, I've never gone through it with PayPal, but I do it with Stripe. And I don't even when when I see disputes now, I just don't even worry about it. I just it's cost of doing business because I know I'm not going to win unless you have any tips for winning those things. Oh, you you've never won them with Stripe? I thought you meant that you were like you had won six of them. Um, So we're pretty successful with them and it's putting together that documentation, you know, proving basically that the students have been in and ingesting the, you know, information or the email delivery back and forth as far as when they requested the refund. So I think we actually have a better batting average than that and maybe higher than 50%. Um, So on the PayPal side, it's kind of the opposite, but that's, like I said, I I think they cater more to the buyer. And on Stripe, what's interesting is I don't think PayPal charges you a fee if you lose a dispute, Um, but Stripe does, and it's $15. So if you have some lower-priced products, this happened to me just this last week, somebody had purchased uh, uh, the tripwire of the workbook for the freelance writing course, which we still do for like, I think, 20 minutes after they opt in. We sell it for $9 instead of $29. It's a great deal. So they had disputed it saying it was fraudulent, which does happen. So first of all, like, unfortunately, people get access to people's credit card information, and there are legitimate dispute charges. And I will try and, you know, work with people. I'm not trying to keep their money that they didn't want to invest it with me. But this person, um, I looked up their email history, and they opened all these emails from me. So clearly, it was the person that you know, the purchase was associated with both in their email and their credit card information. Um, I mean, I think it could still be fraudulent, I guess. 
but I didn't get on it in time. They want you to like respond to that right away. So if I would have decided to refund him right away, I would have saved myself $15. I didn't decide to fight it because I just don't think my time is worth a $9 dispute. Like it, it happens very rarely. And you know, if I calculated my effective hourly rate, it's a lot higher than $9. So <clears throat> anyways, I did not go in and refund it right away, which I wish I would have because I went in to try and refund it like a day or two later. And it was went from the claim status to like full blown dispute or something. And then I no longer had the option of refunding it. And I could fight it. But if I lost or chose to just accept the dispute, I was dinged that $15. And it just chaps my butt a little bit when it's such a small dollar amount and I'm paying Stripe almost twice as much as what I sold the product for, plus I'm losing out on the revenue. So the reason that I get worked up about it is it seems like, and hopefully I'm not volunteering this information for people to work the system, but people buy things and if they don't refund it, ask for a refund during that time, or if there is a, a really strict refund policy that they wouldn't get a refund if they did ask, then their next way to escalate is just filing a dispute with PayPal or their credit card right. company because they feel just entitled to receive their money back for whatever reason. And I just, I don't think it's an, like buyers should have onus again on what they're purchasing. So do enough research. Don't um, see that there's a deal and, and your brain is like, yes, I want this. Like wait to buy then if you're not sure. Yeah, for me, the bit, the, what drives me crazy the most, and I don't know that it should, I, 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 probably, it, I probably shouldn't let it affect me as much as it does. But when people dispute a charge without having ever tried to reach out to me yes. and get with me to resolve yes. whatever issue they have. Yes. And when I see that, I reach out to people. I'm like, look, why, why couldn't you have just reached out to me directly so we could resolve this together without getting the banks involved? I don't understand why people don't go to the person directly. Yep. I think it's cowardness in most yeah. instances. Um, and sometimes people think like you're a big company and it's really just you sitting behind your computer. And so it's a person to person conversation. Like I'll get emails all the time. that are like, hi, Gina or bot. I'm like, no, this is actually me. I, like I wave at them or whatever, do an emoji. Um, but yeah, most course providers are extremely reasonable people. They don't want to take people's money to take people's money. So if you have an issue, email me. Let's work it out together. We're a team here. You know, it's not all about being the seller and all about being a buyer. It's a relationship, a transaction. And um, as I mentioned earlier on, like we're partnering with students to create courses now because we've had such a great working experience together. So you never know what things will turn into. Um, we don't get that many refunds. So hopefully people that are listening to this, you know, like we have quality content. I stand behind 100%. We don't get a lot of refunds and we don't get a lot of disputes. But as we were talking about before, it's just the one thing that kind of unnerves you because it feels like it could be done, dealt with differently. Right. These are topics. I mean, it doesn't happen very often in my business either. I get a refund request every month or two, and then a dispute happens once, maybe twice a year. So this is not something that happens. It sounds like to either one of us very often, but it's certainly a, a, a source of, of displeasure for both of us when it does happen. Yeah. I mean, I've done some research just trying to Google like refund rates just because I'm curious where my stuff falls and nobody talks about it. Well, look, um, one more one more for you, Gina. And this is going to be kind of an overarching, more macro level question than, than where we just were. Um, but, you know, course creators and, and future course creators are the audience of this podcast. And you've mm -hmm. been successful there, obviously. 
Um, so what, what's some advice do you have for somebody kind of just getting started out on this journey of course creation? Great question. Uh, two days ago, I had lunch with a friend of mine. We'd been in a church small group for a long time together. About three years ago, she looked into um, becoming a, a real estate agent and she found uh, a an existing agent to kind of go underneath and learn the ropes from and all that kind of stuff. So they're, I won't give away their idea, but they're looking to create a course on a certain subject. And so they're trying to pick my brain for all of this. And one thing that was fun is that I left the meeting feeling like I had given them a lot of advice and value. And just, you know, sometimes you just bask in the fact that you like know things and you didn't know them before. (laughs) Does that make any sense? Not like having a big head, but I was like, Oh, I know a lot of stuff. Um, so what I would tell, what I told them and what I would tell new people, um, is to probably get an outline of your course concept up and then figure out, um, you know, you have to have an audience to sell to. So you might have a network of people already kind of in your natural market that you can market to, or you'll probably have to have a content marketing strategy, a social media strategy, something in place. So you can start that now and get a like an opt-in, like a waitlist page up, like coming soon, and then have them trade their email just to get on your waitlist. Or you could come up with some other kind of opt-in incentive um, that has to do with the pain points of why they would be taking your course So you're building this little email list. And then when you have an offer to give them, you can hopefully have some strong sales um, the first time that you offer it. Um, Now, pricing is a totally interesting issue. Um, Like, so is the topic. Like, we could talk for probably like three hours on all this stuff. Um, But like having running a beta sale versus an introductory price offer. So um, I've heard that saying beta attached to something makes it devalued because it seems like it's uncompleted um, versus doing like an introductory price offer, which tools like SamCart, they've really added some really neat features. So you could say that after 25 purchases, I'm turning this off and it's no longer available. So you can make that scarcity because there's a scarcity of number of enrollments, a price point um, changing, or the course going away and not being accessible are three of the biggest ones, right? Um, The other advice that I would give besides some sort of opt-in sequence wait list, getting a group of people that are raising their hand that they're interested and doing a course outline um, is to not make it overcomplicated and don't shoot for pro, like perfection your first go around. So we both had this conversation about over time, you know, revisiting the course material and trying to make it stronger and all that good stuff. Like the first time that you do anything, it sucks, right? And that's writing a book. It's probably producing a course. It's playing the piano for the first time, any of these things. And so get that first draft out there, maybe get a couple of people that would be interested to look it over and point some stuff out to you and then get it to market. Or you can do the pre-sale strategy if you feel really strongly about your topic um, as well. And that'll give you some confidence. Just make sure that you're able to deliver it in time. 30 days is the legal rule, I believe. Gina Horky, HorkyHandbook.com. Thank you so, so much for sharing all the advice and stories with me today. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. See ya.
And that is going to do it for episode 82 of the Online Course Guy podcast. You can find the show notes and any links that we mentioned in the interview today by going to theonlinecourseguy.com slash 82. Once again, I'll tell you about our sponsor of this podcast, Bonjoro. You can quickly and easily send videos to anyone with an email address using Bonjoro, and you can get started for free for 14 days by going to bonjoro.com slash Jacques. And if you are just getting started on this journey or you have an online course already and it just has not reached your goals yet and you're looking for some of the best strategies, tips, advice out there, I've got a free online course workshop for you. Just head to theonlinecourseguy.com. And guys, stay tuned for the next episode of this podcast coming at you real soon.